Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to Data Plus Women at TC19. We are so excited to, that all of you could join us today. My name is Kay Henley. I'm the Tableau Program Manager at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in Washington, D.C., uh, better known as the FDIC, where we insure up to $250,000 of your money, and we know all of you in here have that $250,000 insured. <laughs> so let's take a quick look at our agenda. Serena and Emily will give you a brief history of Data Plus Women, the current state, and what's in store for the future. Following that, you are all in for a treat. Jerry Martin Flickenberg, Flickinger, Flickinger, the Chief Technology Officer and Executive Vice President of Starbucks will give the keynote. And we'll close with a group discussion and networking before we head off to the opening reception. With that said, welcome to the stage, Emily Kuhn. Thank you, Kang. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Kay. So I'm Emily Kuhnd, and I love Data Plus Women. <laughs> so in 2014, Anya Ahern started a conversation with women who were active in the Tableau community. That included the incomparable Kelly Martin, Ashley Swain, Lee Fonseca, and me. As we talked, we had an idea to have a lunch where we could network. But we didn't want it to just be a ladies who lunch kind of event with white gloves and pinkies in the air. We wanted it to be meaningful and to engage people who were interested. We approached Tableau with this idea, and the first Data Plus Women event was born. There was no budget beyond the lunch for 50 that Tableau could provide. Even when we even wanted swag, they were like, sorry. So what we did was came up with some amazing button images that Anya designed, and we all chipped in $20, and we had our flair. But what I found interesting in looking back over my emails with when we were organizing this was that we would even discuss things like data diva. Like, if we put that out there, does that mean like we won't get taken seriously? So we were even having those conversations as we organized that. We also wanted to really connect and network and talk about topics that mattered. So we talked about topics such as how can the data industry become more welcoming for women? How can we set up girls to be data geeks? We started those conversations five years ago, and we're still discussing some of those topics today. And to me, what's so amazing is that we have the support of men, men like Jonathan Drummy, because while it's data plus women, it's not data minus men. The 50 of us didn't solve the world's problems that day, but we did lay an amazing foundation. That lunch of 50 grew into pre-conference sessions like the one today, where we have approximately 1,700 people here. But more than an annual event at conference, women are inspired to start meetup groups in their local areas. 
whether it's data plus women she talks, or she talks data, the missions are essentially the same. And so with that, I'd like to welcome Serena Roberts to the stage. All right. Hello, everyone. Gosh, this, this is what it looks like to speak in front of like almost 2,000 people. That's amazing. Um, so yes, where is Data Plus Women going? Well, the actual answer is pretty simple, but it's not going to be easy to do. Where we take it, right? We need to take ownership of where this goes. We need to take action. Uh, groups like Data Plus Women, She Talks Data, and other related groups that are, are centered around the same mission of advancing women who work with data have popped up all over the country and grown because of one person or a small group of people, people somewhere who decided to take action. They weren't going to wait for someone else to do it for them. They weren't going to wait for someone else to say what they were thinking. It's not enough to stand back and wish things were different or call out how uh, that group isn't inclusive enough or, or so on and so forth. We have to take action. We have to drive this. So if there is one thing that you take away from this session today, it's that you light a fire in your soul to go out and start something of your own and take action. That's, if I had a microphone, I would drop it right now. <laughs> Welcome Kate back to the stage. We are back, and I am so excited to introduce you to someone who has influenced my life for the past four years. Uh -oh. Does everyone have their Starbucks cup with them today? Because I know y'all stop by Starbucks on the way here. Okay, some of y'all may not. So, I love Starbucks. In the past four years, because of this young lady, they have been able to remember what I want whenever I go to Starbucks. The mobile app is smarter and more personal. But when I go see my favorite people in the morning, they already know what I want. It's already prepared. Many of you in this room are, are technologists. And I know you would love to hear some of her personal stories about this tech transformation. In addition, Tableau saw the need to make her a former Tableau board of director member. So she was on the board. She helped Tableau become Tableau for women, yes. I would like to introduce you to my new best friend, and someone I personally know at Starbucks now, Jerry, Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer. Well, oh, she brought me another one. Okay, we. This one was empty. Yeah, yeah, we really do know who you are, Kay. Yeah, I know. And I just swung by the store and said, "Give me Kay's regular." And they knew. And they knew. Yep. Well, maybe sort like that. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's nice to be here today, and I'm just loving this group. So thank you for taking some time as you first arrived in Vegas. I know you all want to be out there on the floor, right? No, you're happy to be here. 
I am excited to have a few minutes to share with you a little bit about my journey. My journey as a leader, my journey as a technologist, um, and my journey as a woman. I'm kind of looking out there and I'm loving that I'm seeing some women, some men, um, and I love that diversity. And I think there is a lot to be said for how strong we are when we're all working together. We all have different approaches, we all have different voices, and I hope over the next 20 to 30 minutes I leave you with a few things to think about as you go out of here on your own journey. Ooh. How many of you in here started out in a career with computer science or software engineering? Can you raise your hand? Okay, that's great. Well, that's where I started. However, most of you were not born yet. Okay, so I started off with a degree in computer science and mathematics long before the title of data scientist was invented. And I started my career after college at Chevron. And the reason I went to Chevron was partly because of data. I had an emphasis in artificial intelligence way back in the 80s. And I was excited about how I could use AI in a very large, complicated company. And I spent about 10 years at Chevron and learned a tremendous amount. And I'm going to come back to that time in my life in a little bit and share with you some of the things I learned and some of the mistakes I made. After being there for 10 years, I woke up one morning and said, oh my gosh, I'm actually a technologist. So I took a short drive uh, from where I lived in California to the Silicon Valley, and I became the first CIO for McAfee. This was back in the days, this was before the year 2000, when computer viruses were kind of a new thing. In fact, McAfee was the first US-based software company that was doing real-time updates for virus signatures. So I got in on the ground floor of the security industry, and it was a lot of fun. And I did that for about five years. During that five years, McAfee grew from about $250 million in revenue to well over a billion. And we're without a doubt the leader in antivirus. So I did what most people do at that point in their career. I retired. <laughs> because I decided I had done everything I wanted to do. And so my husband, my wonderful husband, and I decided what we would do next was start a family. Aww, that's where you're supposed to sigh now. So these are my beautiful twin daughters who are not this size anymore, but I have to look at these pictures to remember how cute and lovable they were <laughs> before they became teenagers. Anyways, um, I decided I was going to be retired, I was going to be a stay-at-home mom, and I was going to rock it. And how many of you have a similar story? Uh-huh. I got two years in and said, oh my god, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> Not only was I kind of terrible at it, I actually wasn't loving it. And so my husband, my amazing husband, said, you know, I think maybe you want to go back to work. And I said, oh my gosh, thank you. Yes, I do. The next day the phone rang, two weeks later I had a job. I went back to um, the industry in the Valley, and I was the CIO for VeriSign, another security company that you may or may not remember. After that, I ended up joining Adobe, also as their CIO, 
and was at Adobe for about 10 years and was part of the team that transformed Adobe from a software company to a cloud services company. And then the next obvious career move, I went to Starbucks. <laughs> Completely obvious. So, you know, I just looked at this journey the other night and reminded myself that this was a journey of reinvention. And it was a continual reinvention of technology and the technology industry, but it was also a reinvention of my own skill sets. So let me just kind of walk you through that timeline with a different lens. When I started my career, it was mainframes. It was mainframes and green screens. I heard a few little, I know a few of you out there remember that too, green screens. And in fact, I remember when the first personal computer showed up at Chevron and was available to the business groups. And so for a while, PCs were the coolest, newest thing. And then shortly after that, client server, another wave of transformation in tech. And everybody had to learn new skills. And all those skills you learned in the mainframes, you had to relearn for PC, and then you had to relearn them for client server. And you guys know how this story goes, because now it's probably getting kind of current. Then the internet came along. And so about the time when I was at McAfee, everything was about the internet. And then there was the dot-com, and we had online everything, and then there was the com crash, and then there was mobile, and then we had app everything, and here we are, and we have AI, ML, everything. And what's amazing when you kind of step back and think about that, the tech industry over the last 35 years has reinvented itself about every three to seven years. And that reinventing doesn't mean you throw away everything you knew, but it does mean you have to adapt. And if you as a technologist or a business leader are also in an industry where you're seeing reinvention, you also have to really think about how do I continue to learn and grow. And so I'm going to share with you a few ways that I've found to keep growing and learning and reinventing. Does this resonate with you guys? Yeah, okay. Hopefully you remember some of those transitions. So I'm going to come back to why Starbucks. What took me from the Silicon Valley to the often rainy Seattle? Beautiful that it is, but often rainy. And it was really three things. The first is really grounded in the mission of Starbucks. And this is the mission. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. So that story uh, that Kay just shared about we know her name when she comes in and it's a bright spot of her day to have that cup of coffee or other beverage in her hand is something I hear all the time. Because Starbucks actually sells an experience. They sell a human connection, a place of connection. If you think about Starbucks, if you think about the last time you were in Starbucks, I bet you're thinking about something like, hey, that's where I went with my kid after the ball game on Saturday. Or that's where I had a meeting with a friend of mine. Or that's where I went to just get some time away from the house so that I could study or work on my project. Or maybe it's the place that you swung by on your way to work to grab your mobile order and pay coffee because you just wanted that warmth in your hand on the way to work. And all of those things I just described were about how you felt, 
not about the cup of coffee. And so what I loved when I started thinking about Starbucks is I've always been a technologist who thinks a lot about the human at the center of technology. And I think the very best technology is technology that you don't notice. So many of you out there, all of you probably, are uh, Tableau practitioners. When you do an amazing Tableau dashboard, what happens? Do people get excited? They like see things they never saw before. You just simplified their world. It's about that emotion. Of course it was hard. You had to build it from technology, bits and bytes and data and, and gigs and megs. And, but really, you're simplifying somebody's job. Or maybe you're giving them an insight they couldn't have before. So it's all about the human experience. So that's the first reason I went to Starbucks. The second reason is I really like scale. So let me just give you some data. So today, right this second, there are over 31,000 Starbucks stores around the world. Okay, that's a, that's a good number. We have more than 400,000 employees. We call our employees partners. So those are baristas, those are regional managers, those are people managing supply chain, and they're technologists. It's all the people that really run the brand. We run in 82 markets around the world, and on any given week, we have about 100 million customer occasions in our stores, 100 million. And all of those 100 million occasions adds up to about $26 billion a year. Now, many of you work in companies that are that size or maybe close to that size, but here's what I want you to really look at with that number. $26 billion, $5 at a time. Most of it comes between 7 in the morning and 10 in the morning. Okay, now you've got a hard tech scale problem because you want that transaction to happen in real time. If it's a loyal customer like Kay, we want to know who she is, how many stars she has, and we want to surprise and delight her in the store. And so suddenly now you've got a hard tech problem. So that's my second reason for thinking Starbucks was a great opportunity. And then the third reason really is about cool tech. This is the vision statement for the Starbucks technology organization that I lead. And what you'll notice here is the same theme as you saw in the mission for the company, which is we do technology specifically to amplify human connections. But it's a lot of cool tech. So one that you might know of is the mobile application. How many people here use Starbucks mobile application? Oh my gosh, that's great. Okay, how many of you got a, or gave a Starbucks gift card this year? Probably almost every hand went up there. Both of those are great examples of Starbucks technology that's focused on amplification of a human experience. In addition to mobile applications, we have to think about how do we converge physical retail with digital. So think about this. When you order your latte in your mobile application, that latte order has to show up in the store in a way that a barista can make it. And that can't be a separate channel from the Uber Eats orders or the orders in the line. So you have to converge all of those different digital channels into the physical space. And then you have to integrate all of that with your physical inventory. 
And that's a lot. And so that's another really fun aspect of big tech. Another thing you might not see or notice in the stores is a whole lot of smart equipment. So the newest version of espresso machines that we are rolling out across the world actually are completely IoT enabled so that we know the quality of every single shot pulled in real time. So we can identify through machine learning algorithms when we need to do maintenance on equipment before a customer ever complains or before a barista even notices any changes on the equipment. So lots of opportunities for really cool big tech. So those are the three reasons that I went from technology companies to Starbucks. And in many ways, Starbucks has a rich and complicated technology stack that I've continued to hone my craft on. But throughout my entire career, there's really four lessons I've learned. And the funny thing about lessons is you learn them over and over again. Has anybody else had that experience? Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna share with you some very um, telling stories about myself, very humbling stories. I'm gonna be super transparent and share with you some things that I've made mistakes on many times, as well as things that I've learned that hopefully will help you maybe not make those same mistakes. So let me start. I always love this. Some of this sounds like motherhood and apple pie. What you love, do what you love, and everything else will take care of itself. And I think there's some truth to that. You know, I started off my story telling you that I was a computer science geek. I love that. So I ended up going to software technology companies. That was all great. I'm now in a company with mission and values that really resonates for me as, a, as an individual and a human. However, that doesn't mean it really was as straight of a line as I just described. I sort of told you the, the highlights. Now let me tell you some times when that line didn't feel so straight and when I actually did not believe I was doing what I love, and in fact I might have been doing what I did not love, and why that was actually a good thing. So when I was at Chevron, I had probably been working, I don't know, six or seven years. And my leader came to me one day, and I, I should tell you, I had built this really cool team. I mean, I had built this team from the ground up. They were amazing technologists. I'd handpicked each one of them. I had, I had coddled them and trained them, and it was awesome. And we were lighting the world on fire, and I was just like, I just kept going to my, my leader saying, can I have more? I want more. I want to keep this, and I want more. One day, my leader came to me and said, Jerry, there's this job that's open over there. I think you should apply for that job over there. And I was crushed. And I was like, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I really like this thing I'm doing right now, and I just want to do more. Why don't you just give me that team over there and add it to my, to my scope? And um, he went away. And he came back a couple weeks later and said, Jerry, I think you really need to apply for that job over there. And I kind of blew him off again. And the third time he came back, I thought to myself, I think he's telling me something. <laughs> so um, it was the last day for the open posting where I could apply for the job. And I literally, well, it was back in the day, there was I couldn't email the application. I had to print it off. I had to fill it out. And I had to carry it to the HR department. And so here it is, five minutes to five. In the evening, the last day of, the, of this opening. And they have this little basket on the counter, and you're supposed to put your application in the basket. I literally stand there, and tears start rolling down my face. And this HR 
professional behind the counter says, you don't have to turn that in. And I say, yes, I do. And I, I put it in the little basket, and I'm crying, and I go home crying, and I cry to my husband. And of course, the next day, I go to the office, and I got the job. At which point, I'm really very unhappy about that. So I start this job, and every day, I swear to you, every day for two years, I grumped my way into the office. Oh, I hate this job. And every day I'd do the job and I'd go home at night, I hate this job, and I'd do it all again. And let me tell you what the job was. The job was a staff position. And the staff position was to be a process design consultant for senior executive teams at, at Chevron. So you take a team of people, maybe seven or eight people, who are having a hard time solving a problem, some kind of big business problem, and you would help facilitate them through problem solving and process design. Right? I was a facilitative leadership coach. And I hated it every day. But you know what I got really good at? I got really good at facilitating people to talk to each other. And I got really good at listening. And I got really good at not having to own the outcome of everything. It was amazing. And I hated the job to the very last day I had it. I was sure it was a thing that was like destroying my career. And then I went and got this CIO job at McAfee. And lo and behold, I figured out that the skills I had learned in that job were the most valuable toolkit I had. And I have used the skills from that experience every single day since then. So do what you love, but be ready that sometimes you're going to do what you don't love to do more of what you love. And give yourself room for that. Which kind of leads me to my second learning that I have to keep learning over and over again. Listen. Listen. So I listened to that, that leader I had way back when. I might have listened sooner. Might have been wise. But I still listened eventually. And I want to give you stories about three people whose names I will, whose names I will not give you, um, but are real stories. And I want to explain three, three opportunities I had to learn to listen. And by the way, I'm not done with this one. I have to learn to listen all the time. The first was someone that I worked with. She was on my team, and we butted heads. Has anybody ever worked with someone on your team? OK, good. I know there's a few hands out there. And it's OK if you didn't raise your hand, because I know you did raise your hand. Um, because we've all had this experience. And you know how you start these relationships? I'm right, they're wrong. I'm right, they're wrong. I'm right, they're wrong. You know, and after a while, you might convince yourself of that, which means you stop listening because you're pretty sure you're right and they're wrong. And then one day, if, you've, if you're lucky like I was, somebody sort of inserts themselves in, into that relationship and says, no, 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 you need to sit down and listen to each other. And so you sit down and begrudgingly, you sort of listen to each other. And the next thing you discover is that actually neither of you is completely right or wrong. Maybe you're both a little right and you're both a little wrong. And that somewhere in there, is the right answer. And, and what I learned from that particular scenario was there was something about being brave enough to be vulnerable enough to listen. And it was really a hard thing because it wasn't like this was my peer. This was someone who reported to me. And so we're already kind of set in that mode of, no, I must be right. I have to tell them what needs to get done. Whereas, in fact, I became a better leader by using their strengths. 
And to this day, I'm still a very, very good friend of that person, and we have these wonderful, candid dialogues. And when we agree on something, it is magical, because I will tell you, it means we are really, really right. And when we disagree, we find a way to move through it. And when she was part of my team, we could agree to disagree. And if I had to decide, I would decide and we would move forward. So be brave enough to have those tough conversations, because they really will work. Here's the second one. Um, we all think about mentors. And when you look out and you think about your mentor, who do you think of? People who you look up to? Maybe a peer? But I would suggest you need to also look in your organization. The best coach I ever had in my entire career worked for me. In fact, they worked for me when I was a very new manager because this person was brave enough to come and sit down and tell me how I was showing up. And there's nothing more powerful than someone on your team telling you how you show up because you have to take that seriously. That's like your kids coming in and telling you you dressed poorly. Like, my daughter would say, this is not what I should wear. But anyways, um, so having mentors who are in your team and giving them the opportunity to tell you what they're observing is super helpful. So use that moment to listen to folks in your team and ask them for that feedback. Um, another uh, person who was part of my team, I would ask to come and shadow me in meetings because one of the things I discovered about myself is sometimes I get so excited about ideas I have that I'm not listening well to what others are telling me in meetings. And so I would take someone who would shadow me and they would do nothing but listen. They would take notes. I would usually introduce them as someone who was going to just help me take notes so that I didn't miss anything but they would observe it. And then after the meeting, I will sit with those, that person and I will say, okay, so here's what I heard. What did you hear? And I find myself missing parts of the conversation because I'm so in it. And so sometimes think about, especially for those most important conversations you're going to have or those meetings you're going to be in, have someone shadow you and then use them to help debrief. And then the most important thing about listening to other voices, say thank you. Because if you're going to be vulnerable enough to listen to people and people give you great advice, make sure they feel appreciated for that because you want them to tell you the next time that they see something you can learn from. Share your vision. Boy, that's as good as do what you love, right? How many of you heard, share your vision? You just have to have a big vision and a big picture. I'll tell you one thing that really is important, words. Words matter. Fewer words matter more. So even if you have a great vision and you have passion and you have conviction, if you don't have simple words, no one will understand. So let me give you three really quick examples. We do not have an IT department at Starbucks at all, anywhere in the world. We have something called Starbucks technology. When I say IT, what do you think of? Just shout it out. IT. Help desk. What else? Tech support. It's broken. It's the network. Okay, that doesn't sound like very much fun. When I say Starbucks technology, what do you think of? Innovation. I heard coffee? I don't know. Innovation, for sure. And, and your mind just sort of thinks broader. Technology is such a broad word. Okay, so that word really matters. So 
When I got to Starbucks, the first thing I did was change the name of the group. There is no IT, and if I am ever in a meeting, including the board meeting, and someone says IT, I stop them and say, we don't have that here, we have Starbucks technology. And what happened to the team, as soon as the name was changed, they stood a little straighter. It was like having permission to talk about a whole different set of things. Now, you still have to do all the other stuff. There is still tech support activities that go on, but there's something important about the word. Just remember that example. Here's another one. Um, shortly after we got there, we needed a vision statement for the technology organization. So we have three phrases. Talented technologists delivering today, leading into the future. That's it. That's all we had to do. And what's cool about that is it's so much simpler than a big, long thing that says 99.999% uptime, right? On time, on budget projects, nobody wants to do that. But to be a talented technologist leading into the future sounds pretty cool. Words matter. And suddenly now you've got a whole team of people behind you excited to be part of that organization. And here's another one. This is, a, this is one we're using now in our current iteration um, as an organization, innovate, Iterate, scale. Innovate, iterate, scale. So what that's talking about is the importance of agile delivery, test and learn, but ultimately you've got to get to scale. And suddenly people start getting more motivated about, I can try something as an innovation, I can iterate to see if it's gonna work, but I acknowledge I eventually have to get to 31,000 stores and make it run. Um, so that's all good. So sharing your vision is super important. Last comment on this is find your amplifiers. There are people in every organization who will amplify your message. Once you get your three words right, find the 50 people who will say it 50 times a week. And then last but not least is keep learning. Three really fast, or actually four really fast examples of this, tech skills. Um, for those of you who do have um, a deep technology background, you probably find that it gets out of date really fast. Um, I spent this last weekend sitting on my kitchen counter working on TensorFlow. Does anybody know what that is? Yeah, I didn't really understand it two weeks ago. But I'm learning, and you have to find the ways to do that. So keep learning new skills. Have broadening experiences. Get out and be part of boards. If it's a nonprofit board, great, sit on a board. Go to events like this. Take a learning tour to the Silicon Valley. Just get out and broaden your experiences. Third, focus on management growth, especially if you lead a team. Think about coaches, mentors, and classes. Fourth, business insights. This is one of my favorites. So no matter what business you work in, no matter what agency you're part of, you need to get into the business. So here's how I do that at Starbucks. Once a month, I go to my local neighborhood store and I work behind the counter. Literally. Now, I can't make a drink to save my life, but I clean the counters and I greet customers and I will do sampling. The reason I do it is because I need to be in the business. I need to keep learning what that emotional connection is like, and I need to see where I can help and be more effective. So whatever your business is, get inside the business. And then my last insight about keep learning is about the younger generation. And for me, I'm lucky because I have some built in. I have my twin daughters who um, are still with us at home and, and not quite through high school. And all I have to do is listen to them. 
And I learned so much about what the next generation is going to think about and struggle with and be excited about, and that helps me stay fresh. Now, those are the four things, and that's all I have, but here's the thing, you gotta repeat it over and over and over again. It never ends. So every week, you just start at the top and you go right down the list again. Make sense? Yeah? Okay. Well, that's kind of all I had for you today. I hope that was helpful. I hope it gave you some things to think about. I want to thank all of you for letting me spend time with you. And I'm looking forward to meeting all of you at some other events throughout this week. And let me invite Kay back up. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much, my new best friend, Jerry. Wow, that was simply awesome. And I hope everyone took pictures of her slides so you can get the notes and try it out every day. Jerry has to run to another Tableau commitment, but she'll be around and will be more than happy to chat with you if you see her in the Data Village. And now I'd like to invite Serena and Emily back up on the stage to join me. So we are going to have a group session now, so we're going to shake things up a little bit. We know you're sitting with your friends. We've been watching you the whole time. <laughs> and so you're all sitting with your friends. So we need you to turn around, meet the people near you, say hello, find out their first name, and find out something about them because we have a couple of questions we want you to talk with them about. So I'm going to turn it over to Emily. Turn around, so I'm going to do the Japanese thing. Yeah, so they turn around. Now, remember you were in school, if you had to ask a question, you had to do what? You had to raise your hand. Well, all of you don't have to raise your hand. You only have to pay attention to when my hand goes up. So when my hand goes up, your voices go down. Let's try it again. My hand goes up, your voices go Y'all are just the smartest group of people I have ever moderated. Okay, I'm turning this over to Emily. Great. So thanks, Kay. So we want you to talk amongst yourselves about, what, about a several different questions that we have. And the first question is, as a part of the Tableau community, what can you do to grow and empower the next generation of Data Plus women? So take about three to five minutes, talk about it, and then we want to hear from you. Commence talking. Go.
One minute. to hear from you, as I mentioned. We're going to hear from a couple of groups, and we have volunteers that are just going to throw mics at you. So <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> or at least that's the story we're going with. So who wants to share something that their group talked about for the question, how can we grow and empower the next generation of Data Plus women? Is it on? Not live. Hello, everybody. It's not on. Oh, I, I was. Is there a mic or anything? Oh, I think you have to like eat the mic. Oh, put it like put it in your face. Like, yeah. Like this. <laughs> is this it? Chomp on it. Does this one work? <laughs> oh, try this one. This one's not. A, oh, okay. Good. Okay, just. Test, test. Oh, it works. All right. Hi, everyone. So something that we talked about in our group is something that I had started at my company is that we had a women in IT networking session. Um, sometimes it can be really hard and isolating to be a woman in a male-dominated environment. And helping facilitate that conversation to just be more comfortable with each other, um, to go to somebody if you have a question. Um, it was really helpful in being able to connect everybody together, and it's really helped open up the floor when we're in meetings to help share our ideas and make sure that nobody's talked over. Um, so just something like that that you can start tomorrow at your organization is just have a meeting with all the women in IT together um, and help share ideas on how you can make life better at your organization for each other. So Awesome. I love that, and I love that it ties into what Jerry talked about, about listen to many voices. So that's amazing. Who else wants to share? We'll throw a mic. One okay, mic. you've got one. Good. Let's Ready? do it. Sure. Set, go. Um, I work for a university, and one of the things we do is we volunteer and go into the, some of the graduate classes and speak about how technology can be used. And it's inspiring to see other women in the classes to see people who are actually in the business. So it doesn't look like it's only a boys' club. That's amazing. Role modeling is so yeah. important. You, you can believe what you see. Yes. yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, Serena, next, next question. question. As part of the Tableau community, what is one thing you can do to help make Data Plus Women more inclusive? Again, we'll do five minutes to discuss as a group, and then we'll come around and take a couple of uh, audience chairs. Can we throw the mics? We can throw the mics. Nice. Yeah.
two, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, 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 two. Yeah, it's not coming through. Two. Ha. Hey, 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 yeah, it's not coming through, it's registering, but hey, how you doing? One minute. I'm like, yes, mom. Striking fear in my heart here. I need her to come to my house and yell at my kids for me because <laughs> they don't listen to me. 
Um, who would like to share a fabulous, fabulous insight? Yes. Hi. Um, so we talked a lot about um, how. Go ahead, go ahead and stand, stand up. Stand. Uh, hi. Um, <laughs> I think our group uh, had the opinion that a panel of speakers would have been awesome who showcase um, intersectionality of women, so gender, race, sexual orientation, um, disability um, of, of women and non-binary folks who work in tech and data. Um, we just felt like that would have um, represented us a little bit more. Um, and. We also uh, think this is a really great event and it's really awesome to see so many folks here and um, look forward to a lot more. Thank you. Okay, thank you. That's a great takeaway. So then, kind of to go along with the theme, so then are you gonna take that back and recommend that? Or if you're in the leadership, are you going to enact that as yeah. part of your Data Plus Women, She Talks Data, or whatever your meetup group is? What's the action? Yeah. Because that's a really great recommendation. All the way in the back. Hi, thank you. Um, so kind of to that point, but different stages of people's careers, like motherhood, right after work, happy hour, not always the most convenient time. Um, yeah. so things of that nature would also be really helpful in thinking about uh, other times, other venues, childcare um, at Ooh. the venue itself, maybe. Uh, things like that would be awesome as well. So. Agreed. We've seen that more and more, childcare popping up at, at conferences. So. All right, let's, yeah, two yeah, hands. yeah, we can take a couple more. We've got, yes, my non-existent watch. <laughs> Hello? Okay, so this is something that we actually brought, I saw it online so I can't take credit for it, but I actually brought it to my kids' preschool. Um, and it was just like a mental checklist that you can run through. It was a question, it was specifically for books, but who wrote the book, who's in the book, and who's missing from the book? And that's something that you can apply to meetings or groups or projects, just to kind of always be thinking about yep. who's writing the story and who's orchestrating things and that's who might great. be missing. That's, that's so great. awesome. Because it's, it's, so, it's, it's intentional, right? Yes. It's not a complicated thing, it just takes being intentional about it. And like you said, like who's missing from this group? How do we get them here? Yeah. These are cool and weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, social media is what occurred to me because the movements that have kind of gone viral and spread and therefore created more people being involved, you know, like the ice bucket challenge, right? It's, it went viral on social media. The Me Too movement went viral on social media and Data Plus Women can go viral on social media. So if I start using more hashtags, if I start using you know, Twitter and Facebook to highlight women in data and people who are making um, strides for inclusivity, then the word gets out. So that's one way. Nice. Great. I'll go to the next question. Yeah. Oh, over on the corner there, okay. or middle, Trina. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Hey, um, I have a bold suggestion. Let's Hear get it. a freaking keynote and not be early before the conference or a separate Ooh. thing. I hate that I would we not be have upset to by get that. tickets in and we don't 
get enough and we worry and people don't come and there's standby, we need a keynote and we'll include everybody in the conference. Great recommendation. One more right here and then we'll go to the last I got question. You. you ready? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Good thing there's styrofoam. <laughs> oh my god, I am so sorry to you publicly. Um, <laughs> clearly, I'm not good at this. Um, but recently, for my uh, organization, they were part of a recruiting event for Latinos in finance. Um, uh, while I was in finance as an undergrad, I got to represent the data analytics side, and there was a many Latinas that came up. They were like, "Oh, you're the data person. You're your analytics." So I think a lot of it is also being present in your own organizations, like recruiting and those events taking place. While you may not identify, you could still represent like these things still exist and you know you can still be a part of it because that wasn't what we were recruiting for, but that's definitely something that we should continue try to get that reach. Sounds good. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> you All, right. All right. Next question. Okay, as part of the Tableau community, what are you doing to grow Data Plus Women and make it more diverse? Five minutes begins now.
One, okay, 45 seconds. Got one right up here. We got one right up front. How many of us actually have a degree in what we are working in? Good point. My background is in anthropology, and I run the data for the third largest construction company in North America. So, why are we hiring people for their degree? Do you realize that we have skill sets in different areas that don't necessarily happen to match the piece of paper that we have? But we overlook those people because when we go to hire people, we're like, they have to have a degree in this. I hired a FedEx manager as my lead auditor, and she puts all the auditors in my department to shame. Wow. Because she's so used to tracking and finite data that she looks at everything and nothing gets past her. So to be more diverse, let's look outside the box. Whether it's male or female, we need different perspectives. And there are so many people who didn't go to college but can rock the socks off any positions that we have. Yep. So let's look outside. Woo! I think that's a drop the mic box. Yes, it is. Kind of moment there. Drop the mic. That is so true. Thank you so much. That's so great. Thank you so much. But we want to continue this conversation, but we know you have to go to other places. So remember, hashtag reminder that Data Plus Women, make sure you use the Data Plus Women hashtag. Go to the diversity inclusion booth in the Data Village. And we have brain dates throughout the conference. Thank you all so much for coming to continue the conversation. Please use the code and make sure you do an evaluation on us because we know we did a great job. We just need to hear it from you all. So thank you, thank you, 